All right, good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to see you all. It's good to be here on this beautiful, fine Sunday morning. And just excited to see what God has for us from 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to continue looking at understanding holiness. We started this a few weeks ago, and that's where we're going to pick up this morning. In the early church, when believers would gather or part ways, instead of saying hello or goodbye, they would say Maranatha. Maranatha is a Syriac expression of our Lord comes. Believers in the early church, unlike many believers in this age or in in this time in the age, if you would, um, they were very interested and they were very convinced they were living in genuine anticipation of the return of Christ. Uh, It wasn't a fantasy. It wasn't fiction. It was Maranatha. Our Lord comes. We looked this about understanding holiness from chapter 1, verses 13 through 16 is kind of where we worked ourselves up to, to to get to verse 13. And and we said that if we're going to understand holiness, that it begins with preparation. That's where holiness begins. Like, None of us are going to live a holy life. We're not just going to stumble into that. We're not just going to look up one day and go, oh, how, how am I living like this? Holiness or unholiness, both are extremely intentional. Uh, Peter told us to gird up the loins of our mind. So if we're going to live a holy life, if we're going to have a walk of holiness, it will be because we prepare our mind by attaching our mind to the Word of God. I mean, that's, that's how this has to work. And then we also establish that holiness demands sobriety. Be sober, uh, Peter tells us. Uh, to be holy, our mind must be under the influence of the Word of God. And so we attach our mind to the Word of God. That's how we prepare. But then if we're going to be holy, we have to be sober And if we're going to be sober, that means that we are under the influence of God's word. In other words, God's word is governing our very thought life, not our flesh or our carnal mind, which is enmity against God. So we continue in verse 13, where we read, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. Now, the grace that Peter is speaking of here, we, we looked at this when we a few weeks ago in, in the previous verses, but the Apostle Paul articulated it very clearly as well. And as we stated a couple of weeks ago, and we'll keep pointing this out, that the epistle of 1 Peter, of all the general epistles, it is the most Pauline. And so you're going to see a lot of consistencies between the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches and the epistle of 1 Peter. And this is another example. But you have here in your notes, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that after ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his 
glory. So when you go to buy a home, one of the first things that you do to show that you are very serious about buying that home is what? You put down earnest money. That says, I am very serious about purchasing this home. God did the same thing with us, but on a much higher level to show us that he is eternally serious about purchasing us. God made the down payment by giving us that Holy Spirit of promise. I mean, that's what God has done. Our redemption occurs, though, when our Lord comes, Maranatha. That's when it is complete. That's when it is fulfilled at the revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 13. At that moment, the grace of Jesus Christ will be brought to us and we will be fully redeemed, praise the Lord. Now, having said that, here's our third observation. If we're going to biblically understand holiness and walk in holiness, understand Holiness longs for the rapture. Holiness longs for the rapture. I put this in your notes, but the Pew Research Center in 2010 did a survey where they surveyed believers and they asked them if they believed that Jesus Christ would would return in the next 40 years. Now, I want to point out to you that their responses were more indicative of their position on the return of Christ more so than it was when he would return in terms of of dating, okay? So I gave you these results. 28% said probably will not return. 27% said definitely will return. 20% probably will return. 14% don't know. Let me translate that for you. Don't know, don't care. 10% definitely will not return. Now, that is as disheartening as it is revealing. Because one of the things that is very consistent with Laodicean believers is that they are predominantly concerned with the here and now. Their their perspective, their focus, it doesn't go very far beyond themselves. If it doesn't impact their, what they perceive to be their bottom line, they check out. So I really don't know, I really don't care if Christ comes back, if that's fiction or nonfiction, who cares? It does nothing for my life. I mean, that's very heartbreaking. And let me explain to you exactly why, because... A longing for the rapture produces a walk of holiness. If if you are disinterested in the rapture, if you could care less, if you don't know, if you're, well, maybe, maybe not, like it's, I promise you, you're not walking in holiness before God. You're not. Consider 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So if 73% of believers are 
or fall into camps that say Jesus probably will not return, probably will return, don't know or believe he definitely will not return. If 73% of God's people are in that camp, then what that's telling us is the bride of Christ, his church, is an absolute unholy mess. It's an unholy mess. If you are disinterested, if you are not certain, if you're not longing for the return of Christ, your life is going to show that. That means that you're going to live in and be of this world. You're not just going to be in it, but you're going to be of it, and you're going to try and get everything that you can out of it. Because Jesus isn't coming back. I'm not going to see him anytime soon, so I'm just going to think, speak, and live however I want. I'm only, I can only see, I can only think about the here and now. My affection is not set on things above. My affection is set on things of this earth. I am trying to get as much pleasure and enjoyment and fulfillment and satisfaction out of this world. That's heartbreaking. And Peter makes this very clear as well. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. If we are hoping to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that is absolutely going to produce a holy walk in your life. And God is going to be glorified and pleased. But when we have a longing for the rapture, we are not going to live like the children of disobedience, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, which we ourselves at one point were those children. And we thought, spoke, and lived exactly like the children of disobedience live. Now, I believe that it is good for us, it is good for me, it's good for you to embrace the examination of the Holy Spirit regarding your understanding and mine of whether or not we are living a holy life. If we are holy the way that we are commanded to be, it is good for us to embrace what the Holy Spirit shows us about that and let me help you do that in an honest and objective way. And here's what it comes down to. This is the question that you and I have to consider. Are you living like an unsaved person? Are you living like an unsaved person? That, that, that is a question, that is an examination that you and I want to entertain, that we want to embrace from the Spirit of God, when, when God looks at your life, does it mirror the life of someone who has no relationship with him? Peter said, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. That phrase, fashioning yourselves, it means to conform. So is your life conformed to this world? Does it look like 
a worldly person. Before we were saved, absolutely it did. We were, as I said, we were both in and of this world. This is why we're told in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and be not what? Conformed to this world. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're not to be like the world. We're not to fashion ourselves like the world in thought, speech, or behavior. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be like the world. As a matter of fact, you are to be, and I am to be, transformed. But what does that mean? Well, again, I'm not the brightest light in the room or the smartest guy at the table, but I've done a little studying, and that word transformed, it's where we get our word metamorphosis. You look at a metamorphosis, it's not just a little tweak, right? When a caterpillar is converted into a butterfly, that's not a tweak. That's a massive change. It's not slightly different. It's something completely different. And so, as believers in Jesus Christ, listen, if we are walking and living in holiness, it's going to be drastically noticeable and drastically different from the world. It's going to be radical. And, and this is something that I think this is, I think we, we, we often miss this, and I want to make sure I, I speak to this while we're here. And you need to understand, from God's perspective, Because just from the way that the gospel is often peddled and presented to people in the world today, it comes off like they're doing God a favor and God needs them to be saved and God needs them to be in his church and all that kind of hogwash. But here's what you need to understand. For his glory, what God is after in your life is this. It's transformation. Listen, it's not self-improvement. It's not that you're not lonely anymore. It's not that you, you don't wrestle with insecurity anymore. It's not that, you're, that you are a better version of you or that you somehow you, you discover your best self. And that type of Laodicean, carnal, empty, shallow nonsense. No, what God is after is transformation. Where God says, listen, you are not the same person. You are completely different in how you think and how you speak and how you behave. That's what God is after. Not that the only difference between you and me and our neighbors and coworkers and family members is three hours on Sunday. Right? You go here, they stay home. That's the only difference. God says, no, that's not true. Anybody can do that. God says it's transformation. It's a completely different person. This is what we're after in discipleship. This is why that we emphasize and we stress accountability. This is why we do all that. Why? Because we're not playing church. We're not entertaining people. For the glory of God, our heart, our burden, our passion is that you and I would be transformed people before God for his glory. And that's going to fall out to holiness in our lives. Don't be like the world. What does the world look like? Would you notice 
they are disobedient and given to lust. Would you notice that lust is plural? Lust. If you are saved, but your walk is characterized by disobedience to God's word and lustful living, you have an unprepared mind which causes you to be unsober, which produces a longing for the filth of this world, not the rapture. Which ultimately indicates that not much has really changed since you met Christ. A metamorphosis is not occurring in your life. Transformation is not taking place. Apart from that prayer to receive Christ, when you look in the spiritual mirror of your life, it looks the same. But based on where Peter is going, we can't afford to be lacking in our understanding of holiness. This is very heavy. This is very sobering. I said this a couple weeks ago. Um, as a matter of fact, like, like, you know, if there's ever a time for me to get sick on a Sunday morning, it's during this part of 1 Peter. <laughs> Teaching about holiness, uh, it is, it's fearful. It's fearful because I know what it means to God. Preaching about holiness, studying about holiness, um, officiating the Lord's Supper, it's done with fear and trembling. As you're going to see, as we keep unfolding this this morning, you're going to see how serious this thing of holiness is with our God. It is very serious to him. Look at verse 15. We see very clearly what God desires of us. And let me just say, um, before we read this, that you know, as you look at your life, as I look at my life, you always want to be crystal clear about what it is that God desires of you. And then from there, the last thing you ever want to do is be dismissive or indifferent about that. If when you take that position, then now what you do is you position God to take a position with you that won't be very kind. So you always want to be clear. What is it that God desires of me? Okay. I don't get to write that off. I don't get to, I'll get to that at some point. No, no, no. That becomes the agenda. Not number one, but the agenda, right? So here we go. Verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written... Be ye holy, for I am holy. The word but in verse 15 is a conjunction. Uh, for those of you who study English or literature, you know what that means. What that means is, is it represents a contrast, right, to what's been previously said. So what is about to be said is going to differ or contrast what was said before it, right? Right? So instead of living like we used to live as unsaved people, we are to be holy. Now, it's vital that we point out that it is mentioned twice that God 
is holy. Verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy. And then verse 16, be ye holy for I am holy. Here's what this tells us. This is very, very critical. Holiness calls for knowing God. Holiness calls for knowing God. I have to know him. You must know him. If you're going to understand holiness, which ultimately produces a holy walk in your life, we have to know the God who is holy. Who is holy. Why? Because holiness is rooted in who God is. It's rooted in who he is. It is the essence of who he is. It represents ultimately what he is all about. This is what I'm saying. Like This is like you and I have to come to terms with all of this. And as we get to know God, we learn not only is he holy, 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 but he is so very zealous about it. God is passionate about his holiness. He is passionate about holiness. So again, what, where you always want to be is you want to be whatever God is zealous about, whatever God is passionate about is what you must be zealous and passionate about. I mean, this is holiness is a major deal with God. In this first mention of the word holy in the Bible, we see this. God appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush, and Moses responded with, here am I. But from there, God had a very clear response and a very clear warning to Moses in that moment, and it's one that we ought to pay attention to. Exodus 3, verse 5, and he said, that's God, draw not nigh hither. Draw not nigh hither, but off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Draw not nigh hither. In other words, Moses, don't get too close. Be careful. Be very careful. It wasn't that God was saying that he did not want Moses to know him. It was obvious that God did want him to know him. This is why God appeared to him the way that he did. It was God's way of communicating to Moses and to us something that he wanted us to know very carefully about him and give great respect to. And what is that? Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. Why? For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. What made the ground holy? What made the ground holy was God's presence. That's why Moses had to be careful. This is why the Apostle Paul rebuked the carnal, immature believers at Corinth. What know ye not? Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body is the temple of God. God's presence is in you. So because God's presence is in you, how could you be so carnal? 
How could you be so, how could you indulge in fornication and the things that you're doing? Don't you understand God is there? He's holy. How can you so easily jump into the things that aren't holy? God is there. As you spend time with God and his word, what God's going to do over, over, and I mean over and over again, is he's going to reveal this to you. God is going to reveal to you, I, I could say, on every page of his word, he's holy. He's holy. He wants you to know and respect that about him. So, we learned a great lesson about holiness at the beginning of Moses' ministry. And we learn as valuable of a lesson about holiness at the end of it. Look at Deuteronomy 32, beginning in verse 48. And the Lord spake unto Moses that, that selfsame day, saying, Get thee up into this mountain, Abiram, unto Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab that is over against Jericho, and behold the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel for a possession, and die in the mount whither thou goest up, and be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother died in Mount Hor, and was gathered unto his people, because ye trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters, of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zen. Listen very carefully. Because ye sanctified me not in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet thou shalt see the land before thee, but thou shalt not go thither unto the land which I give the children of Israel. Why was it that Moses after all he had done, after how great God had used them, why was it that Moses could only see the land but not enter into it? Because ye sanctified me not in the midst of the children of Israel. How serious is God about his holiness? In Numbers 20, God told Moses to speak to the rock, and out of it, water would come out for the people. Out of anger and frustration with the people, Moses didn't do that. He struck the rock twice, and there's a beautiful doctrinal picture there that we could get into, but we don't have time. But in doing so, he trespassed against God by not, listen, by not setting him apart before the people. By not sanctifying him. See, God is holy, which means that he is set apart from everyone and everything. That's who God is. And so that's how, and listen, that is how, not only is that who God is, but that is how God views himself. And that is how God functions. God functions in a very set apart way because he is. So the lesson here is this. We, too, must sanctify him. We must be careful. We are to sanctify God. We are to view and approach him in a set-apart way. We must do that. 
We are not to be cavalier and irreverent in our view and in our approach to him. Be careful. Be very careful. And what a contrast. This is one of the issues that I have with the modern church today because, again, the way everything is presented, God's your buddy. He's your friend, right? He's just just this this cool guy in heaven, man. He's just, yeah, you just kind of do what you... Give me a break. Be careful. That is not a sanctified approach to God. And so in knowing God, we not only come to discover that he is holy and very zealous about it, but here's what we also come to understand. This is very, very critical. Holiness involves a calling. It involves a calling. It does. Now, I want to give you three very basic distinctives of that call. The first one is this. The call is to every believer. Listen, uh, nobody has the gift of holiness. <laughs> it's not a spiritual gift. It's who we are to be. All of us. What did the Apostle Paul say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7? For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Right? In the church, we get really excited about men who have been called to the pastorate, and we make a big deal about that. And I understand all that. But please hear me. (laughs) Please, please hear me. The highest call for every believer in Jesus Christ is right here. It's a call to holiness. That is not insignificant. That is not lesser than, as a matter of fact, it is greater than the call to the pastorate itself. Apart from salvation, the call to holiness is the absolute most significant call in the life of every believer. And I know what some of you are thinking. No, I've been taught that, no, there's the call to salvation, which is true, and then there's the call to serve. That's also true. But not in that order. Absolutely, the call to salvation is first, but I am telling you from there, as far as God is concerned, it's the call to holiness. And let me explain to you why. The Apostle Paul said, if we are to be vessels unto honor, then we have to be sanctified and meet for the master's use. It's not just that God wants people to do stuff for him or God wants people to serve him. It's not that. It's that he wants holy people to serve him. You see this in the Old Testament with Moses talking to the priests in the book of Exodus where he tells them, listen, Moses, he tells Aaron, listen, you make sure the priests understand that when they come into the service of the tabernacle, that they had better wash their hands and wash their feet. Why? Lest they die. <laughs> Please understand. I, listen, I know where we live in 2021. We get very excited about performance. We get very excited about people who can do this and who can do that. And we're very bottom line in our thinking and we like results and all of that. And we get very impressed by, oh, look at him and look at her and look at what they can do. Understand, (laughs) what God is looking at, as much as he sees that, is are they 
clean. I don't care how sharp they look. I don't care how how eye-popping they are. I don't care how they move you or impress you. But God says, are they clean? With God, results aren't the bottom line. (laughs) He cares as much as how he gets those results. It is good for you to know that God doesn't see it that way. And understand this, and I'm thankful, and I don't don't say this in a judgmental way, but I'm thankful. Um, Holiness is so important to God that there are some who have been disqualified from ministry. Not because they didn't know the Bible, not because they weren't gifted, not because they, they were unwilling. It was because they weren't clean. And I'm thankful for the examples that, I've, that God has given me. And again, I, I don't say that to, throw a, to, to cast a stone, but I am thankful for having seen pastors who could stand up and teach and blow your mind. Dynamic, incredible, gifted, can, can, can take a crowd and hold them in the very palm of their hand where you're hanging on to every word. And then God pulls the curtain back and says, this is the money they were embezzling. These are the women they were committing adultery with. And they're done. God's not impressed with the stuff that we're impressed with. God says, you paying attention, son? Yes, Lord. Yes. God forbid. Here's the other distinctive. The call is comprehensive. It's comprehensive. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation means behavior. Our speech is part of our behavior, but God desires that we are holy, listen, in thought and walk as well. It's comprehensive. It's all of you. It's all of me. Tell you what, man, one of the things that God did in my marriage, it's been many years ago now, but, but it's related to this, but um, I had gotten to a point where I had, and it wasn't, it wasn't, it was all me. It was my immaturity and my selfishness and my carnality, but I had gotten to a point where I had become, in my mind, I was getting very critical of Lori, very critical. I had this running list, right? Well, man, you know, just, well, this is really getting on my nerves. And is she ever going to figure this out? Or, my gosh, man, you know? And God dealt with me. He was very clear. Son, I care as much about how you think about her as you do what you say and how you treat her. It's not just what you say, and it's not just how you treat her, but I care as much how you think about her. That let me know that God pays attention, very careful attention to my thought life. (laughs) Is it holy? And that brings us to that very point. The question that 
all of us are to entertain regularly is, is this holy? Is this holy? Listen, not is it legal or is it permitted. There are things that are legal and that are permitted, but they're not holy. Got to get that. Let me just say this. And again, I'm, I'm uh, watch the time. Um, I'm, I'm down the home stretch here. It was interesting. So for those who are college football fans, there was a game last night. Michigan played. It was a... It was, the game was more exciting after the end because Michigan won the game. So, go blue. Um, so, watching the game, it was a tight game. I mean, and, and there, there's, a, there's a moment in the game where we had a receiver streaking down the field and he had a step on the defensive back. And, and if, the, if, if the quarterback puts it right on him, I'm still celebrating right now. Right, I would be dancing up here this morning. It was just—it was a beautiful call. Just the execution was poor, and he just missed them. And I was—we were at the White House uh, watching the game, and and Gabriel, Gabriel's seven, he's six. Okay, Gabriel—he's hanging in there. He's—he's a—he's a—he's a fan, man. He's hanging in there with us, and so, and so he missed the throw, and I jumped off the couch, and I was like. Right? Like, you can't miss that throw in this game, bro. And as I turned to go back to the couch, I just made eyes with Gabriel. And he had a look on his face, and he was just like. (laughs) And the, the look said it all. The look was, you really care about this, don't you? <laughs> like, hey, this is serious. And instantly, I'm like, man, what example am I setting for my little brother? Like, is that, is that the best behavior that, like, I don't want to give him, and again, I don't think I was inappropriate. His father's probably worse. <laughs> Makes me feel better. How holy is that? <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, that's how we got to think, though, right? Hey, man, is this is this holy? What am I doing here? Not to be cavalier and just dismissive about our actions. Like, hey, you know what? Yeah, Gabriel's watching, but larger than that, God's watching. How am I thinking, speaking, and behaving before him? I'm sure Gabriel's good, though, right? Very good, okay. All right, here we go, down the stretch. The call is to be like God, not man. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. I came across this, and I really appreciate it. A man said, if moral behavior were simply following rules, we could program a computer to be moral. Very insightful. People have wrecked their Christian life trying to follow someone else's list and never being able to do it. And whenever we hear that, we typically think about the legalist that is never us. 
It's always the church that we're at. It's always the person that we knew. It's always the neighbor or the family member who's a legalist who's wound up too tight and has their list. But it's never us. We never have a list, right? We never have a list that we're holding others to, do we? It's always somebody else, right? Here's what I've noticed as I get older and as we all get older, we get steeped, and I mean very steeped, in our personal convictions, don't we? We get very steeped in them. And let me tell you how that comes off. That comes off this way to people. This is what they're hearing, and this is what they sense from us. It comes off this way. You know what? If I'm not doing what you're doing, I'm wrong. I, 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 I better do everything. that I, I better dress how you dress. I, I better drink what you drink. I, I, better, I, I, I better, if you're homeschooled, then I better homeschool. If you're breastfeeding, I better breastfeed. Am I hitting any toes yet? Like we, we, we get very, I mean, passionate. This is the kind of home I would buy. I mean, we can go on and on and on. And what people are hearing is, if I don't do that, you're going to be disappointed. Please hear me. Be very careful. I do mean very careful. Be very careful with how you manage your personal convictions. Be careful. We had something in my home um, last Saturday. Uh, it was interesting. Um, it was homecoming at the high school. And, uh, you know, I, I think for those of us who, are, who have raised teenagers or are raising teenagers, you, you'll be able to identify with this, right? But you, like sometimes, like, it's like, listen, I, I get it. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not the most hip guy and all that, but I'm not dumb either. Come on, give me a break. But sometimes your kids can say things and you're like, listen, okay, I, I know what that means. <laughs> Which is no big deal. It's all good, man. So where I'm going with this is, is so Ken wanted to go to the homecoming dance. I, I, but I could tell how he was talking about it, that that's what he wanted to do. And uh, so I'm just kind of overhearing. He's talking with Lori and he's just kind of, I'm just kind of overhearing it. And then it goes from that to... Like, he's making plans. You know, his dance starts at this time, and, you know, even throwing around, hey, maybe I could even drive. And, and it just dawned on me that he's informing me at this point. Not asking what I think. Not asking if he can go. And you know what I did? I kept my mouth shut. Hey, he's 17 years old. He has a relationship with God. Now, if you ask me, would I have gone? No. One, I can't dance. <laughs> okay. Two, Saturday night is college football. <laughs> Who would leave to go to a stupid dance? You got college football on, man. Come on. What's wrong with you, brother? 
But you know what? When, when, as I'm hearing all this, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, you know what? I, there's going to be some temptation there. I know what happens at those, at those dances. And you know what? Sure enough, some of the dancing was ungodly. We talked about it the next day. I asked him how it went, what he thought. You see, the thing is this, as, as my children get older, as they are becoming young men and young women, I, I'm not their Holy Spirit. I can't stand over them and regulate and lecture them so that they make decisions that I want them to make. And that's what some of us do, is that we're so passionate in our opinions and our perspectives that we start manipulating discussions and using terminologies and, and different phrases that let it be known, this is what you better do. And if you don't, you're wrong. You know what? By the grace of God, for the glory of God, Ken didn't cross any lines. And I asked him, we were talking, I said, hey, let me ask you, is there anything about last night that you regret? And he said, no. Great. Listen, this young man walks with God. And if he had peace to go to the dance and hang out with his friends that he runs track and cross country with and go out to dinner, I mean, it's, he's 17. He has a walk with God. He gets to do things like that. Now, Bree, forget it. No. <laughs> Listen, we all have our personal convictions, but here's the issue. God is both the standard and the reason for holiness. It's not us. This is why we said holiness calls for knowing him, and you can't know God apart from knowing him through his word. And as we know him through his word, we will learn that holiness, listen, is simply living a life that is set apart from sin. When you boil it down, that's what we're talking about. It's living a life that is set apart from sin, and that agrees perfectly with who God is and how he functions. God is set apart from sin. And if I'm holy, if I'm going to be holy, if I'm going to walk a holy life, that will be my life. That will be my life. And when it comes to the word of God, it is never vague about what is holy and what is not. This is why we don't need your list and we don't need mine. God's word is very clear about what is holy and what is unholy. So in our flesh, we are incapable of this 100% of the time. I get that. And as obvious as that is to you and me, it is as obvious to God. But here's the issue. Here's the key. Romans 6.12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Here's what it comes down to. Are you dealing with sin in your life? We all are, aren't we? As long as we're in this flesh, we're going to deal with sin. As long as we're in this flesh, we're going to have moments where we don't please God as it pertains to holiness, where we do grieve his spirit as it pertains to disobedience and, and, and being unholy. I get that. And I'm not, and I'm not, 
I'm not trying to mitigate that or saying it's no big deal. All I'm saying is this, or what I'm asking is, are you dealing with sin or here Romans 6.12, is it reigning in your life? Do you see the difference? Is it reigning? Is it calling the shots? Is it running roughshod? Is it quenching the spirit in your life that is trying to move and compel you to holiness? We all deal with sin. But is it raining? Do you see that? God, I feel tremendously small. It's trying to wrap my heart and my mind around something as large as this. Lord, it is, uh, I feel engulfed. But I do trust that your Holy Spirit was able to take what you showed us today and uh, stir us in a way, God, that causes us to respond in a way that is acceptable to you as it relates to holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.